Well, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles, or the Bible reading will be on the screen for us. We're going to read the final section from Paul's letter, his first letter to the Thessalonian church, verses 12 to the end. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, Ryan. In light of uh, meeting together next week, I hope you're taking seriously the command to greet each other with a holy kiss. No, I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we're doing that. I'm not even sure whether we're going to do the, the elbow shake thing. But in thinking about next week and what it might be like, I want you just to just imagine what it would be like if Jesus turned up. Not Jesus in the second coming, but Jesus was here a part of our church, just a regular member here at Southside, that what that would be like. You know, it'd be pretty handy to have Jesus around. Uh, you know, would, he, would you see him? Would you easily pick him out? You know, he'd be the guy wearing sandals with the long hair. Uh, would he need a haircut? Uh, who's going to tell him? Um, things like that. How, how is he going to fit in? It'd be great you know, running out of morning tea. Jesus, come and help us. We need some more food. That Jesus come along and bang. Not bread again. Can Jesus produce the sausage rolls that we're all used to here at Southside? We'd have no more funerals here at Southside because he'd keep healing people, stop them from being sick and no troubles because he'd be always helping people with compassion. What would it be like if he was in our church? The plan is, the ultimate plan is for God. He's not going to send Jesus to to be here literally, uh, as in physically, in each and every church. But it is God's plan that every church has Christ-like people. That people are going around being like Jesus. That's God's plan for his church. And that's how we uh, live out this this life of love. I want to go to uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Verse 23 and 24 are kind of key verses, not just in this passage, but key verses, I think, in the whole letter to the Thessalonians. And this is God's plan for his church. And he uses this word sanctify, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but just let's, let's just read it in context. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body 
be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Sanctify is uh, one of these words that we might be familiar with or might have um, a, a bit vague in our understanding of it. So we need to spend a few moments what it means that Paul prays for this church to be sanctified and actually promises that God is faithful. He will sanctify these people. But what does that actually mean? Now, so we're just going to spend a bit on this this word sanctify and that'll make the, the rest of the passage just make sense. Because sanctify comes in, sanctify goes hand in hand with justify, another word. Uh, but it's all work that Jesus does and God works through his spirit in our lives. See, to be justified is something we're probably more familiar with. We talk about this pretty much every week, how Jesus came. uh, He lived the life that we couldn't live, the perfect holy life, but he died the death uh, for us. He took our sin, our wrongs, our trouble with God, and he took it and died for that on the cross. And that justifies us. A tricky way of remembering what justified means is just if I'd hadn't sinned. That's the way God sees us. No, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but just when, when God looks at us, he looks at us through Jesus, through the cross, and he looks at us justified, justified, hadn't sinned. It's more of a legal term. means we're justified uh, in, in that we're declared innocent, even though we've done wrong, Jesus done it. Now, if we just leave it at that, we're justified. God gives us a new identity. He sees us as a part of his family now. We're included in his family. That's good news. But if we just stop there, we're missing out. Missing out on the whole message of the gospel. See, God has saved us from something, from sin, from death, from broken relationship with God. And he saved us to something. He saved us into the family. He saved us to life. And what does that look like? That's being sanctified. Sanctified is being a part of the family and growing into his likeness, to be more like Jesus, to be set apart from the world. I'm not my old self anymore. I'm not a part of the world chasing my desires, chasing other idols, chasing my other loves. I love God. I want to live for Jesus, and that's who I want to be. And God sends us his spirit to sanctify us. We start looking like the people that he's called us to be. That's to be sanctified, to be in God's family, and to live like we're in God's family. So what would it look like for you to be completely sanctified? Because Paul uses the words in that verse, uh, well, that you be sanctified through and through, through uh, spirit, soul, and body, like completely sanctified, completely set apart from the world, completely in God's family, completely in the image of Jesus. What would that look like for you? And is that a scary thought or an exciting thought? Is it exciting that, that to actually, if I draw nearer to God, if he sanctifies me, because God's the one who works in our lives to sanctify us, to change us, that, that that would give me a whole new spiritual vigor, that I would be excited. It's a little bit like uh, we've been talking about this series, Staying the Path, and we've been talking about uh, last week, I used the example of bushwalking and going to these amazing lookouts and uh, seeing these amazing views, climbing the mountains. And the end goal is eternity, to be there with Jesus when he comes or when we meet him. That's the end goal, to stay the path to then. But there's almost, during this life, 
there, there, there's lots of mountains to climb in, in lots of lookouts to enjoy this whole thing of growing in sanctification enjoying the presence of god and drawing near to god and being in Christ's likeness is one of those journeys here on earth and this is what paul's praying for 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 the church in thessalonica and for us for all believers that we go on this journey of sanctification that we draw near to him and be in his life we're saved to be someone to be a member of his family but what does that look like is that an exciting journey for you or is it actually a troubling thought to you that i have to actually i might have to change change the way i live that i'm not able to to live a life outside of the family but i have to actually take my life seriously in drawing near to god and that's that's hard that's scary and it is what is god calling you to do to be sanctified we can leave that question open but actually paul gives us some clear pictures on what that looks like for you for all of us to be sanctified to be more like jesus to be a part of the family what are we saved for what are we to look like in this passage it gives us three pictures and he shows us to be sanctified in the way we, we relate to our church leaders because he's talking to church people so the way we relate to our leaders the way we relate to church members so others and the way we relate to god himself so three pictures he's got coming up what this prayer is to be sanctified uh sounds a bit mundane it's not super it doesn't sound super spiritual or mystical i was hoping for something a bit greater but yeah the mundane life the day-to-day grind of growing in sanctification is really what paul's talking about here the first to be sanctified in the way re- we relate to our leaders i want to pull up verse 12 here and we'll, we'll kick off from there verse 12 now we ask you brothers and sisters to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the lord and who admonish you hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work and live in peace with each other now if you've been on this journey for with the uh, getting to know this church in thessalonica it's actually a good church there's not lots of problems going on that paul's really putting his finger on it's not like uh the corinthian church where paul's got to address every issue so why does he pull out this thing on leadership you know, respect your leaders why does he need to say that well you know to be honest i think it's kind of a national sport that we all like paying out on our leaders and that's not just here in australia in the 21st century it's all throughout time you know in rome because this this is where this this letter's taking place in that first century around a little bit after the time paul was writing this in the in the late uh, 60s you know rome had four different emperors in the one year you know just nero you might have heard of him uh he was chased out of town and committed suicide uh, i think a lot of those suicides in that rome era was kind of like we don't want to know who did it We'll just put it down to suicide uh, nero chased out of town by other people and committed suicide uh, straight away this guy galba puts his hand up i'll be the emperor he was assassinated within five months this guy otho put up his hand uh, then civil war break broke out because they didn't want to be under his leadership uh, so he was also uh, forced to commit suicide within five months and then vespasian uh, took over four emperors in 12 months 
Now, what does that say about the way the Roman culture treats their, their leaders, their emperors? They don't think a lot of them. And it's not just there, it's, it's Australia. It's here and now. I mean, it is a bit of fun. I think it's because of our convict heritage that we don't like authority figures. We like pointing the finger, pointing the blame at someone else, that uh, we have a, a real sense of scepticism about our leaders, that we always make fun of them, we always put them down. This is why Paul's saying it's, it's, it's our natural tendency to push away authority. But Paul's saying here, no, in the church, to be sanctified, to be the people of God, you are different. So he, he calls us to do something that's very unnatural to us, that to actually uh, look at your leaders. They're not only working hard for you with oversight, but even when they admonish you, that just means they correct us, they steer us back onto the right path. Even when they pull us into line, treat them. Uh, he says, hold them in highest regard in love. Now, that's countercultural. That's very unnatural for us. We want to push back on that and resist. Who are you to tell me what to do? Paul says, no, no. These guys, uh, these guys, you need to support them. And we need sanctifying work. We need God's help in our heart to, to actually do that, to put that into place. Now, how that works here at Southside, uh, we have seven elders who oversee our church uh, and they're good godly guys. They're not self-promoting. They're not full of pride. They're not uh, domineering with their authority. And I hope you notice that because uh, every now and again I get a comment from people going, I'm not even sure who our elders are. Now, that's a good example of how our, our guys are guys that are happy to do the hard work uh, without being self-promoting. They're not putting themselves out. Look at me. I'm in a position of authority and leadership. They're not like that at all humbly steering us focusing us on the gospel protecting us from distractions they do an amazing job and we have every reason to trust them and appreciate them but we are developing our leadership culture at Southside we have lots of leaders team leaders uh, growth group leaders lots of people take responsibility and oversight not only just over making stuff happen here at church to facilitate things but to nurture people through discipleship and just keeping people on the right track so we have lots of leaders. It's a tough gig, that whole leadership, being under the scrutiny of everyone else and leading others. Now, I think here at Southside, on the one hand, I want to say, I think we have an amazing level of trust in our leadership. I think uh, we've done some incredible things, some pretty radical things compared to the circles that we mix in. Uh, and us as a church family have been able to follow that and trust that, which I'm super thankful for. But on the other hand, I don't think we have a very good culture of encouragement of any of our leaders, uh, whether it be elders or preachers or uh, team leaders, that, you know, just sending that message, hey, I appreciate you what, for what you do. I appreciate you investing in that. Uh, now I know there's a bit inside of us that goes, if we give compliments, that just feeds their pride or puffs them up in ego, and we don't want to do that, so I won't say too much. But in fact, I think I can honestly share with you, whether you're part of here at Southside or you're a some from another church just tuning in, I think that the danger of pride is much less than the danger of um, just burnout through discouragement and low self-esteem, not getting any feedback or hearing negative stuff. It's, it's actually really discouraging at times because you don't know how well you're going or how well people are responding. So to give, give your leaders some feedback, let me encourage you to do that. 
I'm pretty confident if you shot an email a day to one of our leaders encouraging them, I still think they won't be in danger of pride. It's just a message of saying, good on you. It's worth it. All those hours you're putting in, all that energy you're putting in, we appreciate it. We value it. And that's going to go a long way. Because we all want to know what we do matters. I think that's what Paul's saying. Rather than poking fun, pushing, resisting, let's build up our leaders. Let's support them, thank them, uh, and, and hold them in the highest regard in love. That's, it's actually very radical what Paul is saying to do. So this thing of being sanctified, to be, be in this family of God, is actually, it sounds quite a mundane thing up front, but it's actually a very big change of heart, what Paul is calling us to do. That's the first thing, to be sanctified by the way we relate to our leaders. The second one is the, to be sanctified in the way we relate to other members of our church family. So as we uh, hit verse 14, just note this is Paul's description of what, Paul, what church is like, but it's also an encouragement on what it should look like. Keep that in mind, verse 14, where he says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. There's two things going on in this passage, two ways of reading it. The first one is the real picture of church. Paul is making some assumptions, and I think very real assumptions. These are the kind of people you will find at church, not just Southside. All churches have people like this. There will be people in your church who are lazy and disruptive. There will be people in your church who are disheartened and weak. There are people in your church who will test your patience. There are people who hold a grudge, they're resentful, so they look for payback, wrong for wrong. And there are those who think it's just about themselves and they're not looking to help others or build others up. That's a bit of a reality check. And maybe if you're uh, listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I know who he's talking about. Yeah, there's that person that does that just for me every time I talk to them. Well, guess what? They're probably thinking the same thing about you. Because we all see the, the sinful side of each other. We can't see it in ourselves, but we see it in others. Like They're, they're just hard work. They're just draining. And I'm not sure whether I want to be around them or invest in them. In fact, I don't know whether I want to be in that church because of them. That's the problem. Churches are made up. There's Everybody has a story. Everybody has a history. Everybody has baggage. And we come together. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So the first thing we notice is church is full of imperfect people, broken people, people with a history. But Paul shows us, what to do with that and this is where he commands us because the second thing we notice church is the place where we're all on the journey to be sanctified that's what church is for living together and that is good for us it sanctifies us so he says you want to be fully sanctified through and through spirit soul and body to be more like jesus to be more like his family this is a place that he needs you and remember, this is very different from our society. Our society says, uh, you come, 
I'm ready to play fire with fire. So you come and do the wrong thing by me, I'm going to burn you. Or if you come into my life and you take and take and take, I haven't got the patience for you. I just don't want to be around you and they'll push you away and ignore you. That's what our relationships are often like in society, not in the church, he says. If you want to grow in sanctification, if you want to be set apart in the way that God delights in you, that you're growing into the likeness of Jesus, here's the description of what that looks like in the day-to-day grind of church. And it's a picture of Jesus. Because if you want to know what the family of God looks like, you look at the Son of God. What is he like? If we can just have that verse up again, and we, we have Jesus in mind this time, excuse me, have Jesus in mind, and think about uh, how Jesus is described, that he warns those who are idle and disruptive. And we think of the religious leaders that he said, look, you guys have got to get your act together. He encourages the disheartened and he helps the weak. And he went out, particularly those who are the rejects of society, the broken, those with no hope. He was patient with everyone. Think of the disciples, like a three-year journey, and they would have tested his patience, I'm sure. But then he goes on, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrongs. Jesus not only not paid back wrong for wrongs, but he helped those who wronged him. He forgave those who wronged him. In fact, not just those then, he even uh, took our wrongs for all the people he's called. He took our wrongs, not paid back wrong for wrongs. And then always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And we think of the, the way he went out to people like the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were despised. They were outcast. But yet he goes to, to somebody so far from God and it encourages them, builds them up. It's a picture of Jesus. So if we want to let God shape us, shape our lives, and to be the person he wants us to be, this is a place to do it. The church needs you to be a part of it. Other people need you to be a part of it. See, there's a whole bunch of people who are feeling very disheartened and weak, and they need encouragement. And they need it from you. There's a whole bunch of people in church who have been wronged. And they need you to show them what forgiveness is like. There's a whole bunch of people that are on the journey of sanctification that are going to need you to be patient with them. You are needed in this process. See, in the local church, God is building us. Ephesians 2 says God is building us into his temple. The people of God are being built up to be his temple, his glory, the place where he dwells. And this is what the image of the church is. And it's a process. He's building it. It's not done. We're a work in progress. So to be this person, you need to be with others. You're not going to find this journey at home. You need to be with other believers. You need to be with his people. And when you realise that, that he's on a journey for me and growing me in sanctification, but not just me, the rest of my brothers and sisters here, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Sure, it's messy, it's hard, but God is growing us. He's growing us in sanctification to be more like Jesus. Uh, That's the second thing. 
So we're to be sanctified through through our leaders, through through the other church members, but we're also on a journey to be sanctified in our relationship with God. Now remember when we get to these verses, these this is the word of God. So this is like God telling us, this is how I want you to relate to me. And we pick it up in verse 16, where he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, in Christ Jesus, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. See, the danger here for us is that I think in our culture, we, we put a lot of weight on being justified. So I trust in Jesus to be saved uh, through the cross. If I believe in the cross through, through his resurrection... I have a new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. But then we carry on the rest of our life like none of this stuff matters. Yeah, the whole relating to God, drawing near to be God, being transformed by God. It's kind of an optional extra. So if we uh, think again, how are we going with this? Do we rejoice? I I don't think it means rejoice every second of the day, but rejoice in the context of praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, knowing that God's in control, that God's got me on the journey, he's not abandoned me. We can rejoice. We can be praying to him all the time. We can be giving thanks to him in all circumstances, but in reality, we're grumbling. We rarely pray. Uh, We're not giving thanks to God and acknowledging the good things he does to us. We don't do those things. In fact, we don't look for God's will in our life. We're on our own journey. We quench the Spirit. We actually put water, tip water on the Spirit because we're not letting him uh, live and change and thrive in our lives. We don't uh, test what's coming into our mind. I think that's a good way of interpreting that. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. It's like anything you hear, anything you listen to, whether it's on TV, whether it's from the preacher, whether it's from a book, test it all. Because then he goes, hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. But we're not good at that. We struggle with holding what is good and we're quite comfortable with evil. We're quite comfortable with our sin. That we're... We're actually not taking this very seriously at all. But what God's saying is, this is how I want you to relate to me, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart, to be near me. This is what it looks like. There's another helpful image of what it means to be sanctified, and it's actually an Old Testament image of when they were building the temple. Uh, so Solomon building the temple of God, amazing building, amazing structure, you know, made out of the best timber and then coated with layers of gold that uh, it was just spectacular to walk into, uh, even though only a select few people, only special priests could actually enter the temple and see it. But this was God's house, God's dwelling. It had to be holy. So to be completely covered in gold was, was kind of like it's not like the rest of the world. You know, it's dust, it's grime, it smells. Uh, To go in here, it's set apart. It's like a taste of heaven. This is God's dwelling place. And when they're putting the furniture into the temple, they would say they would sanctify the furniture, which just means they made the furniture specially for the temple. It was to do nothing else. You couldn't go down to the second-hand shop, uh, pick up something good and just whack into the temple. It had to be specially made, the purest gold. So they had things like lamp stands and incense stands and tables, the furniture in. Now the furniture was called uh, 
said it was sanctified because it was completely for God. It was completely apart from the world. Was, it was God's possession. It was near God. Now, I think that's helpful for us. We're talking about furniture here, but this furniture to be sanctified, to be holy God's, was not to be used for any other purpose. It was set apart just for God. Now, if you were one of those priests who were allowed in and, you know, a bit mischievous, the Aussie priest that's on the, on the roll, he'd go in and says, hey, this would be pretty cool if I brought one of those lampstands back home for the night. So, you know, those lampstands with like 12 different candles lined up along, that would be pretty cool. So in the afternoon, bring one home for the missus and just say, hey, I'll cook dinner tonight and you light up these lamps. It'd be like a six-burner barbecue, right? Because you've got all these candles lighting up. You cook dinner over the lamps. You go, check this out, kids. You hand it around, solid gold. So it's so heavy, everybody wants to hold it. You know, the midnight toilet break you got to do because they got outhouses out the back light up the candles take it out to the outhouse be so heavy you'd have to have a special shelf there to hold the lampstand just light up the night sky and then you'd take it back inside and in the morning you'd have to sneak it back into the temple you've had your fun with it but sneak it back in before you get caught i mean that's sort of the mischievous side of uh what we do or what we want to do at least my mind goes there for some reason i want to do it can you imagine what God would say to that when he sort of looks around at the temple and goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Is that, is that mince, mince meat that's dribbled down the side of the candle? Is that fingerprints? Looks like everybody's had their hand on this candlestick. Looks like everybody's been handling it. The way it's dirty and it's lost its shine. Is that, what's that smell? You didn't, it's like, seriously, it's not sanctified anymore, is it? It's more a part of the world, used for regular use, daily use, the around the house use, rather than being set apart for God, being precious to him and close to him. Now, story about furniture. But that's what we do, don't we, in our lives. We say we want to be gods, we want to be in the temple, we want to be close to God. But, but when it comes to this stuff, when God says, be close to me, rejoice to me, pray with me, thank me, uh, look for my will, don't quench the spirit, let the spirit live in you. Do not let prophecies, like test everything, because everything going into your head, hold on to what is good, reject what is evil, because you're not a part of the world anymore. You're sanctified. You're set apart for me. You're in the temple. You're part of the family. But yet we read that and it's good on Sunday, but come Monday, come Tuesday, we look as much as the world as any other person. We're not living the sanctified life. We're actually mocking God taking the goodness of his grace and his justification, but not wanting to, to be the person that he wants us to be. Paul's saying, no, no, I'm praying that you be sanctified, set apart, precious to God, close to God, and you be the person that he's called you to be. That's huge. What would that look like in your life? What would you have to change to be that? If if we could just have that uh, verse 16 back up again. What would it look like if, if you were to be rejoicing, praying to God all the time, giving thanks to him in all circumstances, have that sort of connection, communication with God? What would it look like for you to, to pursue God's will for your life in Christ? Hand yourself not only spiritually to him, but physically and through your soul, that, that through and through to be living for him, what would God's will look like for you and how you lived your life?
that we're not quenching the spirit but we let the spirit god's spirit that comes into our lives that live and lead us that we don't fight it or put it out but let the spirit drive us into the person that he wants us to be what does it mean for us to test everything we're reading and watching and listening to to hold on to what is good but reject to say no to every kind of evil what does that look like if we be this sort of person I find that truly confronting. This is radical. That God not only justifies us, but calls us into the family and, hey, this is what the family's like. Look to Jesus. Again, this is a description of Jesus. How are you going to be more like him? We need to remember, this is not about you working harder. Do it. It's not about you earning your salvation. If you don't look like this, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven. It's not like that as well. It's not about you trying to be someone you're not. Throughout Thessalonians, Paul's made it clear that Jesus is the one that's died for you. He's the one that through grace, a gift, you have life. You are in the family. So you don't do this stuff to to earn God's love or to deserve God's love. You do this because, because of his love. That you're responding to that. This is the person I want to be because he showered his grace upon me. He showered his love upon me. Now I want to live a life that glorifies my father. I want to live for him. Yeah, that is work. Yeah, it is hard. But it's, it's a response to his amazing grace for us. I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to pray a prayer in light of those verses from that we read at the start. Verse 23. And uh, I'm going to pray it, applying it to us. If you want to pray that with me, I encourage you to do it. I want us as a whole church to be doing it. So we're on this journey together. But just know, it's handing ourselves over to him through and through, through our spirit, soul and body, everything to be drenched in his love and on this journey of sanctification. So I invite you to pray with me now. Father God, you are the God of peace and we commit ourselves to you to sanctify us, to make us into the people you want us to be, to be like Jesus through and through. Lord, we hand over our spirit, our soul and our body wholeheartedly that you would keep us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father God, As you've been faithful in calling us, we trust you to continue to work in us, that you would transform us, that you would sanctify us, because, Lord, you know we are weak and we can't do it. So we ask that you do what's necessary to work in us, build us into your holy temple as your people, as you promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.